the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Senator Tim Scott is running for president. Good morning, Senator. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. Thanks for having me on this morning. I'm great to have you on. Grateful to have you on. Arthur Brooks was just on talking about his new book with Oprah, Build the Life You Want. And, and he said the whole country has to upvote positive and deselect negative to get out of the crisis of the culture that we're in of toxicity. Is that the premise of your campaign, Senator? I do believe that America benefits from an optimistic, positive messenger as long as you are anchored in conservatism and you have a backbone. America has always prospered when the conservative party is moored in, in principles. One of the ble- blessings of my young life, he was having Ronald Reagan come on the stage right after the Carter debacle of the freshman in high school. My unemployment rates in my neighborhoods were 30%. Ronald Reagan brought a revolution, an optimistic, positive revolution, but everyone knew he was a little off sometimes, and he might use every weapon in the arsenal. Peace through strength emerged, and it brought the world stability, and it brought America a revolution we've not seen since those days. Now, yesterday, Politico had a story Quoting your very smart campaign manager, Jennifer DeCasper is from University of Michigan Law School, as I am. So she knows what she's doing. Uh, she said, everyone calm down. Senator Scott is not leaving the stage. He's going to stay in this for the duration. We're going to stay positive. Positive stay. It, it wins in the long course. What did you think of the reaction to her memo? Is she right? I think absolutely our, our campaign is going to continue to focus on an optimistic, positive message. That does not mean we will not engage in a contrast with our other opponents. We have opponents who want to raise the death tax to 59%. That is just wrong. So the fact of the matter is that there are policy differences between who we are and what we represent for America's best future than some of my opponents on the stage who want a fundamentally different kind of Republican Party. That is the kind of contrast that I believe you can showcase while having an optimistic, positive approach. Another issue is the issue of abortion. I believe that we need a 15-week federal limit because every Senate Democrat has already voted for abortion on demand until the day of birth. That's wrong, Hugh. So, Senator, yesterday, and I applaud you doing this, you were asked by a reporter in Iowa, what about the vice presidency? And you came up, well, maybe Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, my old friend Trey Gowdy from South Carolina, uh, John Ratcliffe, who was originally a congressman from Texas and then the director of national intelligence. Then you named Mike Pompeo, my friend and yours, uh, a former secretary of state, CIA director. Four of those, they're four great guys. Uh, Trey Gowdy's not eligible because you're both from South Carolina. Yeah. But I would encourage you to do more of that. Do you think any of the other candidates will put out lists of vice presidential candidates and sec defs and attorney generals and things like that? You know, I think it's really important to know 
what your, your, your moral compass and your global view can be seen through your friendships and your partnerships. And so one of the things I've seen uh, as a member of Congress in 2010 was Mike Pompeo came in, Naval Academy grad, top in his law school. Here's a man committed to serving our country, but also a man who has a global view of the world because of his experience. I think experience matters as long as it's experience that has been applied in the right way. And his has been. I would say John Ratcliffe is another person who demonstrates the same kind of commitment to America through principle-centered approach in governing. I hope every person on that stage has a short list of people that they can turn to that reflects their core values in areas that the nation benefits from hearing about. Uh, number one, you're going to get a text message shortly from Mike Pompeo saying he's part of the long gray line of West Point, not the Naval Academy. But other than that, you'll oh, be fine. Oh, my God. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I but that. I do agree. I would like to see shortlist for the Attorney General. Trey Gotti can go there. There's no constitutional prohibition of two members of the same state going to into the cabinet. Then I'd like to see a Secretary of State, and I'd like to see a, uh, uh, the Secretary of Defense as well. Uh, last question. Political question. New New Hampshire poll by CNN and the University of New Hampshire has the former president at 39%. So he's under a majority. That means there's an opening. But Vivek has 13. Nikki has 12. Um, we've got uh, uh, Ron DeSantis at 10. Chris Christie at 11. Tim Scott at 6. How do you change that dynamic? Or are you betting everything on Iowa? I think you should, it just needs more time. One of the things I, I've done yesterday, I was in New Hampshire I need to spend more time in New Hampshire. We have been spending a lot of time in Iowa, and we are working towards an equal, balanced amount of time in New Hampshire. The more I show up, the larger the crowds that show up to, to hear me. So I'm excited about what we're going to do in the, in the fourth quarter, both in New Hampshire and Iowa. I do believe that a three-state strategy is the strategy we're going to continue with, of course, the third state being my home state of South Carolina, bringing momentum from the two earlier states, I believe, creates a winner for me in South Carolina. Now, Senator, I want to talk to you about the spending deadlock in the House. You remember the House before you were up to the Senate. I've known you for a long time. I remember the first time you introduced yourself. You're the three of, uh, third of three brothers, one of whom I believe was an Army Master Sergeant. Am I right about that? Yeah, as the Command Sergeant Major, uh, 32 years, uh, and my other brother is an Air Force Academy grad, 26 years, retired. Okay, so you know the military. Can you believe that your old colleagues in the House did not pass the defense authorization, the, the appropriations bill? Listen, I think the importance of funding our military is one of the highest priorities we have as a nation. You look at Article 1, Section 8, without question, about half of those enumerated powers goes to keeping America safe. We, we need to make sure that the national security apparatus is always in place, always fully funded, and frankly, we need to purge the social experimentation out of the military and get back to only focusing on war fighting, coming home, safe. And making sure that it's always funded is a priority. House, Senate, let's get our job done on that front. So you know the military and you're very pro-life. Now they come into a collision with Senator Tuberville. On this program, Governor DeSantis is back. Senator Tuberville's uh, boycott of the 300 plus career military people. Nikki Haley, your colleague from South Carolina, former governor, former ambassador to the UN, has blasted the Tuberville uh, boycott. What is your advice to Senator Tuberville? Declare victory and go home? Well, listen, he was right to do what he said. The Hyde Amendment is clear. You cannot use a penny 
of federal dollars in support of abortion, period. Transportation, any other way. I think it was seven or eight years ago, Hugh, I held promotions as well because there was a move to take the Guantanamo Bay prisoners and bring them into Charleston, South Carolina. That You have to be willing to take a stand. The Senate can't at some point override you, and that's what's happened recently, but the truth is you only have certain weapons in your arsenal. And I must concede, under President Biden, holding up promotions is not necessarily a bad thing. What we've seen in the top brass in today's military is too much focus on EIG and DEI and gender issues, vaccine mandates, as opposed to war fighting, lethality, and making sure that the resources and the equipment and the training that we need, that's where the focus of this military should be. We may have been a little bit better off slowing down the promotions and slowing down a greater social experimentation within the ranks of our military. Two last questions, Senator. What is your website where people can get on board, Team Scott, if they want to? Thank you for the 30-minute question. I'll take all the time I can on this one. VoteTimScott.com. VoteTimScott.com. You can find out more about my candidacy and make a contribution. Last question is about Vivek Ramaswamy on this show. has had a position on Taiwan, which was unusual. He said he'd defend it until we had semiconductor independence and then not. He's changed that subsequent to be back to strategic ambiguity. It's kind of a mess. What's your position on Taiwan, Senator Scott? Well, we should always be loyal to our allies, lethal to our adversaries. We should be unequivocal in our commitment to our allies. Taiwan is an ally of ours. We should make sure that they have the resources, the weaponry, and frankly, not on back order, already delivered as president of the United States. I will deliver the weapons necessary to keep Taiwan safe, including missile defense systems, as well as other weapons that they're not getting out of the Biden administration. Vivek, he's just wrong on this topic. He's wrong on making sure that we protect Israel until 2028. You cannot put an expiration date on our allies. It's just dead wrong, and it could lead to the loss of lives and certainly leads to the loss of confidence in the greatest nation on God's green earth. Bonus question. Second debate is next week. Is Tim Scott going to be the same Tim Scott as in debate one in debate two? Well, I think you'll see the same optimistic, positive approach to debating. And I certainly hope that we have a chance to contrast on some of the issues and not have a food fight. It is time for us to showcase to America why this nation can do for anyone what she's done for me. But if we're going to have a food fight, someone has to bring us back to the issues that are germane to the American people and not a food fight talking about things that don't matter to the voters. I will be the person that will create the contrast and the focus on what people care about, not politicians, but the American people, our bosses. The website is Vote Tim Scott. Senator Scott, thank you. Keep coming back. Good luck next week in the debate. Hopefully I'll talk to you next couple of weeks. You will. Thank you, Senator. God bless. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt. In Studio North, Representative Brian Stile is from Wisconsin's 1st Congressional District. He chairs the House Administration Committee. Good morning, Representative. Good to have you on. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I've tried with Mike Gallagher. I've tried with Juan Siscomani, and they're both being diplomatic about the knucklehead caucus within the GOP caucus. Five members refused to vote 
for the defense appropriations rule. They are Dan Bishop, Ralph Norman, Matt Rosendale, Andy Biggs, and my old friend Ken Buck. I can't figure it out, except that I've read that Ken's going to take a contract with CNN, so maybe he thinks this adds a couple of zeros to his number. What is wrong with these people? The defense appropriations rule. Well, at the end of the day, it looks like we're going to be able to get that across the line today. So maybe Republicans in the House of Representatives are a little bit like the United States in World War II. We're going to have to try all alternatives until we finally come to the table and assist. It sounds like we're going to be able to get this bill across the line today. That's a really positive thing for our Defense Department, but also our country. And hopefully we're successful in that uh, this afternoon. Well, I, I, I can't believe Matt Rosendale is anti-military. Dan Bishop wants to be the attorney general of North Carolina. I don't know what's going on with Andy Biggs, but do they understand what it means not to fund the DOD? In making sure we get these priorities right in the Department of Defense bill is absolutely essential. We're having a broader conversation about spending and what those levels need to be. I think that's appropriate in some sense, but we got to make sure that we're moving the appropriations process forward. And the Republican-drafted Department of Defense bill is an amazing step forward to make sure we're pr- protecting the United States of America, funding the United States military, and putting forward conservative policies while doing that. And so hopefully later today this does pass. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. All right, now let's turn to the bigger issue of the of the overall spending in the government. Unless right now the Republicans get to put the ball in play. They get to inbound the ball. They get to send something to the Senate. They're going to lose that chance if it stays gridlocked. Are you making any headway on the larger one-month CR? Well, we had about a two-and-a-half, three-hour meeting yesterday where a lot of people came to the microphones and spoke. I do think we're making some progress. The frustration here is exactly as you say. Just as there's a group of members who wanted my way or highway saying, let's cut the spending, we also have a group of members that will say at a certain point they're willing to work with Democrats and just continue to fund as we are. The sooner we come to a conservative agreement bringing both of these groups to the center, the better off that we are going to be because failure to inbound the ball, as you say, will simply mean that Democratic levels of spending will continue. That is not positive for the American people. Now, my my re- reading of the reporting is that there are 15 members in the do nothing caucus. Is that still 15 or is that number falling? It's got to get down to f- you can have four knuckleheads and run the place, but you can't have 15. I, I think we're making progress at bringing people into the fold, giving them confidence that we are moving these appropriations bills through. And I think also informing people about what this means. These appropriations bills are not only how much you spend, 
but what you spend it on. And the current funding of government was set under Democratic one-party control. It's the priorities of Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. This is our chance to get our conservative Republican policies and priorities in place, which is why it's so essential that we move these, these appropriations bills through. We can get the level of spending down, control that, but also make sure we're doing things like securing the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, Congressman Stile, can you explain to me, because I don't get it and I try and understand this stuff, the interplay between the rule and the defensive probes and the larger CR. If you get the rule and the defensive probes over to the Senate, do you expect them to move that before the continuing resolution for the entire government? Or is that just part one of a dance that's going on in parallel with the continuing resolution? Yeah, these dances are going on in parallel. This is where your federal government spending process is wildly broken. I think we should go and do a massive reform of that so we stop these games that seem to play out every year in Washington. We've run out of the clock, which means we have to hit a continuing resolution just to fund the government while we work on these appropriations bills that are all due at the end of the year. But beginning to get these across the line, defense appropriations, probably the most important of all of them, begins the opportunity for the House and the Senate bill to come together into a final piece of legislation that's able to pass and be signed into law. So what, I, what I'm really getting at is if the defense approach gets through the House and a Senate bill comes out, you go to conference and you pass that, it would not be part of a continuing resolution then if a CR was necessary, correct? That, that would be correct. If that got all the way across the line, half of your total discretionary spending, which is defense, would be completed, would have conservative priorities in place, would begin the work on the remaining 11 bills. You know, I, I just don't understand these five members. Have you talked to them, Congressman? Because Speaker McCarthy, I've known him for 30 years. He, he will talk to anyone as long as it takes to get to a yes. What is their demand? Well, I, I've had lots of conversation. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't always understand all of the nuance of their, their arguments. But, but the gist of it is I think a lot of people are putting a heavy amount of priority into the top line number. They're making arguments that they're frustrated with where we are. Well, count me in in the team that's darn frustrated with where we are. But that doesn't mean that you then hit the brakes and stop the whole process. It means you got to double down and get the work done. Passing defensive probes later today is going to be a huge step forward. Having a continuing resolution with border security in it, forcing the administration to get serious about the border. This is our leverage. We have an opportunity to do that, but the time is the time is the time is ticking. Now, last question, Congressman. It's great to have you on, by the way. House administration, not a lot of people know what you do. So I want to take that opportunity. What does House administration do? Yes, Chairman of House Administration, we cover a bunch of areas, everything from capital security into federal election law. Just yesterday, we had the, the commissioners of the Federal Election Commission in. I'm working on voter integrity legislation. We have over a third of all members in the House of Representatives on board, over half the Republican conference. We have an opportunity to make it easy to vote, hard to cheat. It covers a whole host of area, but election law and capital security are at the top of the list. So that leads me to uh, something former President Trump said to me two weeks ago on this show, that the old January 6th committee, which wasn't really a committee, it was a facade, that they destroyed their records. Now, that was news to me, and I can't find it confirmed. Did they destroy their records? They have withheld certain records. Uh, Barry Laudermilk is the subcommittee chair for me on oversight. He's been bird-dogging this issue. 
We've been working to get some of these records back from the administration. Some of them were redacted. And we're going to have to continue to make sure that we have the full set of records from that select committee that was created by Nancy Pelosi. Well, well, what, where did they send them? How does the House lose control of its own records? Well, at the end of any Congress, while well, Democrats were in control, there's an obligation to maintain those records and store them. When they provided those to the Committee on House Administration at the end of Congress, when it flipped from Democratic control to Republican control, it was a mess. Think of every book in a library being torn out and thrown on the floor without the Dewey Decimal System. We've been working to put that back together, do the inventory, do we have everything? This is a laborious process. We've identified certain things that we think we're missing, and we've been going and pushing to make sure we have all of those documents back. The American people deserve to know that we have every document that the January 6th committee, as set up by Nancy Pelosi, had. We have possession of them. We can review them. We can provide them to the American people. Now, now, I, I hate to belabor this, but was that intentional on the part of the uh, 1-6 committee, or was that just the general chaos that happens with the turnover? No, that, that, that's an intentional uh, attempt to make sure that this was not an organized manner. It's very clear that it, the digital documents that were provided used to be in a structured database. When they provided them to us, they provided them in an unstructured manner. Truly think of, you know, cabinets filled of digital documents that were organized and structured where someone could go in and find what they were looking for and then pulling all those off the shelf, dumping them in a pile and saying, I gave you all the books in the library. You did. Maybe you did. But boy, it's a giant pile on the floor rather than an organized structure like any rational adult would do. Does that damage the former president's ability to mount a defense in any or all of the four indictments that he faces? I, I don't know that it limits his his defense. It's more a, a just a, a frustrating part of the fact that this committee wasn't interested in people looking at their work product and why they did what they did. They interviewed certain people. They didn't interview others. They wanted to drive forward a narrative that they selected and is why we're working to make sure that the full narrative is available for the American people. Now, there's also a story, and I don't know whether to credit it, that you cannot call the Capitol Police before the current committee to find out what happened in the non-preparation for January 6th. Is that, in fact, correct, or are you delaying that for any particular reason? Oh, no, we've, we've been working on this. It just doesn't get uh, the press coverage that I think it deserves. Just yesterday, we had the, uh, or just this week, we had the former ch- chief of the Capitol Police come in and testify, and we specifically asked him on the record, you know, whether or not he had conversations uh, with the House Sergeant at Arms, a direct appointee of Speaker Pelosi. Uh, he says he did. She said he did not. We've pointed out a whole host of things. Again, I don't think it gets the press coverage it deserves, but we've been having many of these people in on the record explaining their perspective of what took place in particular in the lead up to January 6th. I look forward to reading that record. Congressman, thank you. Good luck in getting everything done today and bringing the knucklehead caucus a little common sense, especially uh, uh, Matt Rosendale. I'm going to talk with Governor Gianforte. I think all these people should be primaried or beaten in whatever they run for because they're hurting the United States Department of Defense. Thank you, Congressman. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Code Red is the latest in the Vince Flynn, Mitch Rapp series. This one authored by Kyle Mills, who's done the last 10, and this is Kyle Mills at his best. The new Mitch Rapp thriller is being hailed by Town Hall as a bullet train to high adventure. The real book spy says Code Red feels ripped straight from next week's headline. I read it in one day. 
I talked to Kyle Mills about it. If you find my iTunes website, you can listen to that interview. But all you'll hear there is that you should read this book. It's actually the kind of thriller that disturbs anyone who reads it. The question is always Mitch Rapp against the bad guys. But the bad guys in this case are both Russia and Syria and cartels. It's quite the read. Go get the number one New York Times bestselling Code Red by Vince Flynn, the Mitch Rapp series authored by Kyle Mills. Available now wherever books are sold or go to my book club on my website at hughhewitt.com. That's Code Red, the latest in the Vince Flynn Mitch Rapp series, Code Red. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt, live in Studio North, joined by Congressman Mike Gallagher, chairman of the House Select Committee on the Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party. Good morning, Congressman. Uh, no Browns jokes this morning. We're in mourning over in Cleveland over Nick Chubb. But uh, let's get let's get right to the consequences of the digging into the fight. Wall Street ties with China. What happened this week? Well, uh, this week we uh, we are obviously are continuing our investigation uh, into MSCI and BlackRock, um, as well as teasing out the implications of the war game that we conducted uh, last week in New York. Uh, and then in the House and in the Senate, we're debating this really uh, important question of what restrictions should we place on outbound capital flows to China. There's slightly different provisions in the House and Senate right now. Senators Cornyn and Casey have a provision that would require transparency and reporting for uh, investments in certain sectors in China. In the House, the Financial Services Committee just approved uh, Andy Barr's bill. Andy Barr is also a member of my select committee on the CCP, uh, which would impose sanctions, very aggressive sanctions on the worst actors uh, in uh, China, companies like Huawei and AVIC, uh, OFAC sanctions, very, very intense sanctions. I think these two uh, approaches are actually complementary. Uh, they are not in competition. And I think it gives us an opportunity as the National Defense Authorization Act uh, moves forward and as we conference it with the Senate to actually do meaningful legislation that will prevent Americans, prevent asset managers, prevent retirees from unwittingly or wittingly funding the Chinese Communist Party's massive military expansion and thereby subsidizing our own destruction in the process. You know, Congressman, you mentioned Andy Barr. He's the good Andy. Andy Biggs is the anti-military Andy. Andy Biggs and Matt Rosendale and Dan Bishop and Ralph Norman and one other knucklehead, I can't remember, voted against the rule that would have funded the Department of Defense. You're very serious about defense like Michael Wall. Have you taken them aside to say this is just a nightmare to operate DOD on a continuing resolution? Well, we're certainly, you know, we had a very long conference meeting yesterday in which we tried to make the case. and. You know, the other problem is it just puts us at such a disadvantage relative to the Senate where the Democrats are in control and, of course, naturally favor non-defense spending priorities over defense spending priorities. So if we Republicans can't band together and pass what is fundamentally a conservative but smart defense bill, and it had a lot of policy riders we want, getting rid of woke programs in the Pentagon, tackling some other reform issues, if we can't band together and pass that out of the House, it puts us at a massive disadvantage in terms of our ability to negotiate with the Senate. Uh, and with a narrow majority, we have a very narrow majority in the House. Obviously, nobody's going to get 100 percent of what they want. For example, I wanted more money for uh, uh, multi-year appropriations for key missile systems that are relevant in order to prevent a PLA invasion of Taiwan. Uh, but that's something that we still need to work on. But the bottom line is, if we can't pass that, 
we effectively hand the leverage to Chuck Schumer. And we know that the bill that Chuck Schumer is going to craft is going to be far worse for conservative priorities than the bill that we've crafted in the House. So Speaker McCarthy, I think, made the right decision to keep us here over the weekend. I'm hoping that particularly if some members who were absent for various reasons are able to come back to D.C., perhaps the math will change and that we can keep voting until we pass something. But we got to send something over to the Senate. Uh, otherwise, we're going to we're going to be forced to consider something that is far less conservative in the days to come. Now, I, I know you will not speak for Congressman Norman or Matt Rosendale or Dan Bishop or the other two in the knucklehead caucus. So the larger group of 15 are screwing around with the, the entire budget process. I know you won't speak for them, but what do you think they need to focus on? Because I, I don't understand the interplay between the appropriations and the NDAA. And maybe if I did, they would. Well, uh, really, I would at this point think of them as, as separate processes. Uh, the appropriation and the budget process is what's coming to a head um, this week uh, and next week, whereas NDAA will play out over the next couple of months. Uh, the National Defense Authorization Act basically you know, establishes what DOD is allowed to do. It's sort of like the policy bill, whereas the appropriations bill just give the money for those various policy priorities, um, but they're not linked in the process right now. We are, in the most immediate sense, considering the appropriations bills. As for what the various holdouts need, uh, I actually think there was some productive discussions yesterday between Representative Norman and and leadership. Um, It was a discussion about the overall spending levels uh, that would be in our bills. And so I think there was some positive progress made on that. And so I'm hoping, you know, when next time we have something up for a vote today, the math changes a little bit. As for the other holdouts, uh, I, I don't know. Um, obviously, some of them uh, just fundamentally oppose uh, Speaker McCarthy's position uh, as Speaker and I think want to provoke a, a fight over his speakership. So I'm actually not sure that there's any policy change or concession that could placate them and convince them to vote for a continuing resolution or an appropriations bill. I, I actually think it's about the broader Speaker fight uh, right now, uh, in which case I'm just not sure how you get any of those members to yes. Um, so that's the bad news, Hugh. Uh, but the good news, I don't think ev- not everyone is uh, that's a holdout right now is in that camp. Uh, let me ask you about, uh, you know, I don't know what happens when you have the legislative equivalent of a suicide bomber in your caucus. But if they blow that up and bring in a motion to vacate, does the speaker lose his job and we end up with Speaker Hakeem Jeffries? Well, you don't end up with Speaker Hakeem Jeffries because you still you basically, as I understand it, go back to where we were in January of this year, where you have a you're, you're having a vote on the speakership. And the to become speaker, you would need still need to get a majority in the House. And presumably, unless those members who wanted to remove McCarthy suddenly voted for Hakeem Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries wouldn't have enough votes to become speaker. So we would be speaker less in the House. Um and we would still have to have this budget battle uh, with the Senate. Uh, and if you remember, we we spent about two weeks trying to to get enough votes to make Kevin McCarthy speaker. So it would take us back in time to where we were in January. Uh, we would lose all our momentum. And I would say this: I, obviously, in divided government, you know, we are going to struggle to advance uh, and instantiate into law all of the conservative policy priorities that we want, right? Because the Senate is not going to go along with it. The president is going to veto a lot of it. And I understand the need to drive a hard bargain. And I do think we should use our majority, narrow though it is, to drive a hard bargain. But think about the massive impact that we have been able to have 
with control of the House in terms of basic oversight. Think of the massive impact that uh, uh, Comer has been able to have with his gavel on the oversight committee and all of the things that have come to light with respect to Hunter Biden and the corruption of the Biden family. Think, I mean, I would submit uh, our committee has been able to conduct uh, effective oversight when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party and its corruption of various domestic institutions. All of that goes away if we go back to the chaos of January. All that momentum we have in terms of our investigation, in terms of our oversight, in terms of the pressure that we're putting on the Biden administration and our attempts to hold the Biden administration accountable, go away if we are suddenly thrust into a speaker fight and wasting weeks and weeks of time we don't have to do endless votes on on a new speaker. And so I just don't understand the end game here. And I actually think it undermines our conservative majority and the conservative uh, priorities that we want to advance in this Congress. They are children. They will they will take the media narrative back to January. Republicans can't govern and it will stick through next November. This is just a political analysis, not a substantive analysis. Everything you said about the reality of, of oversight is real and happened and anyone can count it. But if children are on the ground kicking their heels, there's nothing to be done unless you get a working majority with the Democrats. I don't know, shared power on the committee, something like that. There have got to be 10 Democrats who care about defense spending in there. Uh, there are, but but think about that, right? So if McCarthy was then forced to go to, let's say, the Democrats on the Problem Solvers Caucus, Josh Gottheimer and, and folks like that who are reasonable, uh, well, of course, the deal he has to cut with them would be worse from a conservative perspective than if we were just able to stick together as a conservative caucus. So uh, again, it, it's it's counterproductive in, to our overall pr- priorities, uh, and I just I think the Democrats would demand a very high price. Uh, in that scenario. So I don't know, Hugh, we'll see what happens over the next 48 hours. Uh, we're going to keep voting on this stuff. And, um, you know, I would say leadership is working in good faith with um, some members that didn't vote for the defense bill or the continuing resolution or have not yet indicated they support the continuing resolution. Um, and so let's hope those negotiations continue and end up uh, somewhat productive over the next 48 hours. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. Good luck with that, Chairman, because my belief is Beijing is laughing at us and they are telling everyone up and down the Central Committee, look what happens when you turn away from authoritarianism and dictatorship. You end up with nothing. That's what that's what these five knuckleheads are doing. Chairman Mike Gallagher of the China Select Committee, I appreciate you joining me. I'll be right back. America, don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Morning, Glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Representative Juan Siskamani. Represents Arizona's 6th Congressional District. He joins me. Representative, I was I want to talk to you about the House, but first, Eagle Pass is far away from you. It's in Texas. I know that. 
But I've been following the story of Bill Malusian on Fox, and it looks like basically a parade of people from Mexico, really, they're from every country in the world, just walking across. Is that happening in Arizona as well? It's, it's not happening at that extent, but it is happening. That, that's something that we've been seeing more and more. Uh, street releases started happening in Arizona last week, and, and I wrote a letter to Mallorca's the very day that that happened, because that now we're in the hundreds. Now, in, in, in proportion to Texas, compared to our population, that is a big number for us. And we started seeing that last week and, and quite honestly, massive numbers. And, you know, here's the thing. I started getting calls about this uh, very concerned from both Republicans and Democrats. So it shows once again, this is not a partisan issue. This is an issue for everyone that is concerning to everyone in the community. Uh, on whatever side of the aisle you sit on, everybody now has to acknowledge that Mallorca's and Biden have utterly failed at this. And and, and there's, I mean, uh, you you think how much worse can this get? And then you see exactly what you just mentioned. Parading well, I saw through, in the New York Times in, yesterday the story of the 13-year-old who crossed over as an unaccompanied minor, ended up working in a Purdue overnight factory, nearly cut his arm off, and the, the, the factory is full of undocumented migrant children who have ended up there and they get put to work with false documents. It's a humanitarian disaster. Are they doing anything? That's exactly right, Hugh. And that's what we've been saying, too. This is when you talk about the national security piece, that's a big aspect of it and and what got our attention. And then immediately we started realizing that the humanitarian piece was as bad or worse than that. Uh, just the last count was of 85,000 of these minors missing that, that the government lost track of. The, the Biden administration and his different departments lost track of these 85,000 um, unaccompanied children, 13 or younger, all the way down to a year, year old or younger. I have six kids. You know this. I, I, my oldest is 14. My youngest is four. I can't help but think of my own kids when I think of these minors. And the New York Times broke that story, saying where they were, you know, uh, where they were found. And many of them were found in places like you just mentioned, working, uh, uh, labor child camps, and even sex trafficking and worse. So that th- this is a, a tragedy. And, and we don't see any kind of uh, turning around or or improvement from the from the Mallorca's uh, team and the Biden administration. It's infuriating and, and it's an appropriator. We need to take direct action on that. Now, as an appropriator, uh, I want to talk to you today because it looks like the government's going to shut down. I don't think we're even going to get a defense bill out of the House. What is the status this morning on Thursday morning of your understanding of what's going to I'm going to talk with uh, Style. I'm going to talk with Congressman Gallagher, Congressman Style later. But what does Juan Siscomani freshman think about what's going on? Well, I'll tell you this, Hugh, as a freshman, uh, I've learned a lot in the first nine months here in in office. And I I have to tell you that that is in a lot of ways more dysfunctional than ever than ever anyone ever thought it was going to be. And it's not because of the speaker. The speaker has done a terrific job in in rallying the troops over and over and over again in these nine months, in spite of the divisions and the and moving the goalposts and all the games that some people have been playing uh, since we got here. And I and I believe the same is going to happen again. I'm I'm still very optimistic. I'm always going to be a glass half full kind of guy. Uh, we've been disappointed this week and last week since we got back from the August work period, but we made some progress yesterday. Some some uh, you know agreements around specific areas that that show optimism. I believe that we're, we are going to get the defense bill passed, uh, the rule hopefully today, and then the, 
the actual vote shortly after. And, and, and I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm also pretty optimistic that we could get some, some kind of agreement on the CR and, uh, and, you know, and go that far. So would it mean that the Defense Department was funded the appropriate way with directions on what to spend? That would go to the Senate and that could pass and then the CR could pick up everything else? Well, it wouldn't be, it'll be a, a version of that, yes. The first thing that we need to do, which is I, I was, I, I sent a stern statement yesterday about this, is how disappointed we were with the defense bill not passing. That, you know, for our troops to not get funded and to not get the pay raise that they need and that they deserve. I mean, all that was uh, unheard of to, to, for a defense bill under Republican leadership to not be able to, to pass. So uh, I think we'll be able to get that and that will be done through regular order which is an appropriator, we've put in the work for that. And, and a CR was not our preference. That's not what we, what I wanted to do. We put in the work on 10 out of these 12 bills already. So we were expecting this to go through the same process that the veteran military construction bill went through and also that the defense bill will go through. I want to see Homeland Security go through the same process. And, and quite frankly, every single bill after that, we've put in the work on it. So we need to do that. Nevertheless, we're going to need more time, uh, apparently. But we ran out of time. So so we're, we're here. So that's why a temporary CR of, of four weeks sounds like something that can uh, help us continue to make progress. I think what we'll see today and tomorrow, Hugh, is a good sign of what's to come. If we were going to be entering a CR or a potential CR with no progress on any other bill except the one that we passed in July, then, then that will be a lot more concerning. But, now, but Congressman, I've read a couple of accounts of the caucus meeting yesterday. It sounded like the knucklehead caucus spoke for 90 percent of the time. And I don't want to put you on the spot and have you name the knucklehead caucus. I know who they are. You know who they are. Is it, in fact, the, the, the way that it came down, that they just talked and talked and talked and the other members just sat there and shook their heads? Well, I've been in several meetings, uh, some larger than other meetings. I'm grateful that leadership has involved me from the beginning on, on some of these uh, very uh, uh, small meetings and, and going back and forth. Uh, quite honestly, uh, the, the six uh, negotiators, the six people that have been getting together even on tighter circle to talk through the details on this have been open to feedback. And, and there's been a clear avenue for everyone, including freshmen, to be at the table. I'm not the only freshman at the table at these meetings. So I, I've been glad to see that. And then we had a larger meeting and conference. And, and the, the, the meeting was, was a back and forth. Definitely, you know, some, some people speak more than others, like in anything else. But, but nevertheless, well, uh, what I can tell you is that people like me and that think like me have a willingness to do what it needs to be done to avoid a shutdown. Nobody wins with a shutdown. I've been saying that from the beginning. And well, what we does, what do uh, I will name a few names? Dan Bishop, Ralph Norman, uh, the fellow up in Montana whose name is escaping me because I'll, uh, Rosen, Matt, Matt Rosendale. Uh-huh. Those three voted against the Department of Defense funding. What do they say? The Republicans have never, ever voted against the Department of Defense funding, ever. I, I know that. And there were five total. And, and so there were two others besides the ones that you mentioned. I, I will never attempt to speak for them and why they did what they did. I can tell you that it was very disappointing. We were, we were frustrated by it. It was quite honestly embarrassing for the country. I'm not talking about ourselves or Republicans necessarily. It was for the country. Do you think China and, and uh, our, our foreign adversaries uh, like Russia aren't looking at this and realizing that a Republican majority wasn't able to pass 
uh, the defense bill. I mean, this this weakens us internationally and it definitely sends the wrong message at home. So so the, the, they put us in a very tough position. And, and here we are. We we have figured it out. It looks like we'll see more of that today and tomorrow and, and we'll be able to move forward. Now, the uh, NDAA had in it the repeal of the abortion travel policy that has hung up all the promotions in the Senate. Does the appropriations bill for the Department of Defense, the rule that would bring up the bill, does that include the NDAA's language about the abortion uh, travel uh, policy? Hugh, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and look at that. There's been a lot of discussion back and forth, so I... I, I I apologize, but I, I'm going to need to go back and look at exactly what's, right. what's so, going on. So fill me in. You're, you're nine months in at this point. Is it wildly less functional than you expected? I know, look, Leader McCarthy's doing the best. Speaker McCarthy's doing the best that anyone can do. But it just seems wildly dysfunctional when five people can derail the Department of Defense. Well, what I tell people all the time when they ask me as a freshman, what, what have you seen on this? I, I tell them, you know what, uh, from, from everything that I expected, it's more of. So the, the good is actually better and the bad is actually worse than, than I expected. And, and I think that that sums it up in, in a bit. You know, we the, the relationships and the leadership that I've seen from uh, Speaker McCarthy and, and, and the team and everyone and, and the freshman uh, class, how we work together is much better than I ever anticipated uh, in terms of, of how we can move forward. Now, I had high expectations. So the speaker, of course, trusted him with my vote. Uh, through 15 rounds. And I still do. I told him yesterday, I said, uh, I, I, I trust your direction on this and, and your leadership. So um, I'm very much still very optimistic on that. And then on the other hand, the, what, how, how the group of people that, you know, that you've been mentioning have been acting and uh, sabotaging a lot of the efforts and, and the progress that we can make. Speaker McCarthy says he's still dancing. I hope he does. I hope he dances through today and tomorrow. They got to get these five to stop this silliness. Juan Siscomani, Congressman Extraordinaire, thank you. He's our freshman of the year, and he's doing a great job. Appreciate it. This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election Storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. Congressman, come right back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Morning, Glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt live in Studio North. I want to begin today's program by looking back at yesterday's testimony by United States Attorney General Merrick Garland. Very revealing. Here's the first cut where the Attorney General and House Oversight Chairman Jim Jordan are talking about testimony that Merrick Garland gave on March 1st. Cut number six. Quote, Mr. Weiss has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. That was your response, Attorney General, to Senator Grassley's question on March 1st, 2023. You just referenced it when Mr. Bishop was questioning you. Only problem is he'd already been turned down by the U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia, Mr. Graves. So he didn't have full authority, did he? 
I had an extended conversation with uh, Senator Grassley at the time. We briefly touched on the Section 515 question and how that process went. Um, I've my never been suggested. My point's real simple, Mr. Garland. You said he had complete authority, but he'd already been turned down. He, he wanted be. to bring an action in the District of Columbia, and the U.S. Attorney there said, no, you can't. And then you go tell the United States Senate under oath that he has complete authority. I'm going to say again that uh, no one had the authority to turn him down. They could refuse uh, to partner with him. They could you not. You can use whatever you, you, language. They, refuse to partner is turning down. Well, it's not the same under a well-known Justice Department practice. Here's why this. You know, that's ridiculous. Uh, cut number eight, uh, Merrick Garland with House Oversight member Dan Bishop. I did not uh, endeavor to investigate because I had promised that I would not interfere with this investigation. The way in to not interfere is to not investigate an investigation. Once he requested to be named special counsel, having not done so over months and months of your tenure, did you ask him what had changed? that made him now need to be a special counsel. Mr. Weiss asked to be made special counsel. I had promised that I would give him all the resources he needed, and I made him special counsel. When did the Justice Department permit statutes of limitations to expire on some of the prospective charges against Hunter Biden for tax violations? I don't know anything about the statute of limitations here. The investigation was in the hands of Mr. Weiss, to make the determines that determinations that he thought were appropriate. Are you unaware that tax that uh, statutes of limitations have in fact been allowed to expire after there having been tolling agreements in place? I'm going to say again, determination of where to bring cases and which kinds of cases to bring was left to Mr. Weiss. Yes, sir. I understand that you've said that. That's part of the problem. The question is, are you aware that statutes of limitations have been allowed to expire while the matter was under investigation? The investigators were fully familiar with all the relevant law. I'm not asking for the excuses. I'm asking whether you're aware of that fact, sir. I'm going to say again. Stop. I I really don't know if he's got competency issues here. Dan Bishop would have made a great attorney general of North Carolina if he hadn't decided to be anti-military this week. Uh, Let's go to Merrick Garland's March testimony, which both Jim Jordan and Dan Bishop referred to. This goes back to March of March 1 of this year, Senate Judiciary Hearing Committee, where Merrick Garland is talking with Chuck Grassley, cut number five. As the committee well knows from my confirmation hearing, I promise uh, to leave. I promised to leave the matter of Hunter Biden in the hands of the U.S. attorney uh, for the District of Delaware, who was appointed uh, in the previous administration. So any information like that should have gone uh, or should or should have uh, gone to that U.S. attorney's offices and the FBI squad that's working uh, with him. I have pledged not to interfere uh, with that investigation, and I uh, have carried through on my pledge. In April 2022, you testified to Senator Haggerty uh, that the Hunter Biden investigation was insulated from political interference because it was a sign to, as you just now told me, to the Delaware attorney's office. However, that could be misleading because without special counsel authority, he could need permission of, of another U.S. attorney in certain circumstances to bring charges outside the district of uh, Delaware. I'd like clarification from you with respect to these concerns. Uh, the, the, the U.S. attorney in Delaware has been uh, advised that he has full authority uh 
to, to make those kind of uh, referrals that you're talking about or to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. Right there. Full authority, uh, complete authority to bring those cases. Make referrals or bring those cases. Make referrals or bring those cases. Full authority. Back to Jim Jordan, cut number six. Quote, Mr. Weiss has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. That was your response, Attorney General, to Senator Grassley's question on March 1st, 2023. You just referenced it when Mr. Bishop was questioning you. Only problem is he'd already been turned down by the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia, Mr. Graves. So he didn't have full authority, did he? I had an extended conversation with uh, Senator Grassley at the no, time. No, no, stop. He we, didn't have an extended conversation. He had the conversation I just played for you. I don't make you remember. Dwayne went and found it. He told him he had full authority to either refer or bring cases in any district, and he got turned down, and Merrick Garland won't admit it. Merrick Garland also said this, cut number 10. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Uh, don't re- I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't part. recollect you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son. I, I don't believe that I did. OK, you betcha. Cut number nine. Merrick Garland this time. That was Mike Johnson. This is Tom McClintock. Cut number nine. Directly for attempting to, to criminalize political activity. You appointed him to prosecute Joe Biden's chief rival for the presidency. And then we have the appointment of David Weiss. Weiss deliberately allowed the statute of limitations to run out on any charges that could have implicated Joe Biden in influence peddling. Uh, He originally offered Hunter Biden a sweetheart deal that was ultimately upended by the court. And he's the one you appointed to pursue the charges that could implicate Joe Biden. That leads me to only two explanations, either corruption or incompetence. So which is it? Those are the kind of questions that judges would rule out of order. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm sure you would. (laughs) Which is it? Look, I I said uh, before, and I will say again, Mr. Weiss was the Republican-appointed United States attorney. Right there, I think we have now all determined David Weiss was appointed by the two Democratic senators, there would be no U.S. attorney, no judge in Delaware because it's a single party state. It's a blue state. We all know about the blue slip rule. David Weiss was handpicked by uh, Christopher Coons and the guy whose name I can never remember. Carper up in Delaware, the two senators. So this is just nonsense. Jim Jordan doesn't ask him about does ask him about a leak to The Washington Post from Jack Smith team. Cut number 11. Mr. Garland. Have, have you or are you investigating who leaked the information that appeared in the Washington Post on October 6, 2022, about this investigation, about the Hunter Biden investigation? You're saying there was an October 2022? Uh, October 6, 2022, Washington Post writes a story about the Hunter Biden investigation. I'm just, I, I wonder, have, have, have you investigated who leaked that information to the Washington Post? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Has it been, is any, has it been referred to the uh, uh, inspector general? Do you know that? Um, um, I don't want my answer to suggest that there is or isn't such an investigation. I know that the um, um, uh, that the um, so, uh, inspector general sent a letter to Congress explaining uh, that there was that he had an ongoing assessment with respect to the whistleblowers charges. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. He, he's clueless. 
He's actually kind of clueless. One more cut. Uh, Jeff Andrew, Congressman Jeff Andrew, asks him, goes back to the Catholics are extremists investigation. Cut number 12. Do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Yes or no? Let me answer what you've said in that long list of... of, I'm at, of I'll be happy the, to answer all of those. Attorney General, let me just, I control the time. I'm going to ask you to answer the you, questions you, I asked. You control time by asking me a substantial number of things. And I, I didn't get, ask you those things. I, I made a statement. The, Attorney will, General, through the chair, I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Answer I have no question. idea what your what the traditional uh, means here. May I answer your question? Yes, the idea no. that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI your that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Both I and the director this of the FBI the, have said the that we were appalled. Have said that we were appalled by that memo. So then you agree yeah. that no. Not. So, so stop her. That you notice he's. I'm. I don't know what you're talking about. I, and you know my background. I'm appalled we sent that memo. He knew exactly what was being talked about. He's filibustering. He is a terrible disgrace to the Department of Justice, of which I was a member, and he ought to resign. This is just a total cover-up, screw-up, failure of competence, perhaps cover-up, perhaps we don't know. But Merrick Garland ought to go. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'll be right back. Hillsdale understands the importance of education to the future of our country, and they want you to as well. So they are offering you 10 free print copies of the recent issue of Imprimus, entitled Education as a Battleground, written by Hillsdale College President Larry Arndt. The special issue of Imprimus provides a factual account of the issues in the ongoing battle over education, explains why parents and teachers, not bureaucrats and activists, should guide what our children are learning. Don't miss the opportunity to arm yourself with the facts. Claim your free copies, 10 of them. Education is the battleground, the Imprimus issue you cannot miss by visiting HughForHillsdale.com. That's HughForHillsdale.com. Act now and join the battle over education for our country's future. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.